I'm Jill Shaw here with Ross Wilson to bring you an update on what happened last night at school committee. School committee meetings are long and dense and the crowd in the room tends to thin as the hours inch towards 11 p.m. And yet extremely important things happen at all hours of school committee meetings. This is where decisions are made, policy is shaped and operational plans are approved, all which result in the quality and efficacy of our schools. So let's get into it. Ross, good morning. Good morning, Jill. How are you? Good, how are you? Very well. So in this shorter than usual at three hours and 55 minutes school committee meeting last night, uh, it was kicked off, I think, which is typical with the superintendent, Dr. Brenda Casilius, giving a report to the committee. And she, among other updates, where and there were many, um, many people received accolades in her report. She also talked about um, the fact that she's already begun the work of transitioning schools to an either K-6 or 7-12 model. We've begun discussing with school leaders in our secondary schools, our high schools, and our middle schools around their transition to 7-12 because they'll have also a planning year in the next year. So I wanted to just make you aware that we have uh, begun those discussions with the middle and uh, secondary uh, high school t uh, principals, which will then um, now will begin speaking with the teaching staff and the school communities. So I just wanted to give you a heads up that we're going to be starting to talk with them about um, about those shifts to that pathway. And then when offering his comments to the superintendent, Michael O'Neill offers this advice. I, I know how anxious you are to get to April and make big announcements. We, you're also learning how this city works that in the absence of information, misinformation takes hold. And so. Ross, so is this, is this a heavy lift or is this something that will be pretty easy for the school system to pull off? I think this is a tremendously heavy lift um, to, to move the district from, um, to move all of our K-5 schools and, and potentially, I guess, even K-8 schools to a K-6 model um, and then to move all of our high schools to 712 and, and to understand where the seats are across the city. I mean, our schools are all different sizes. Um, there, it's not clear to me how we also expand K-1 seats when right. we're also in K-5 buildings expanding to grade six. Which the mayor talked about in his speech this year, that he, he wants to expand K-1 seats. Right. It's a, it's a, yeah. Again, we there's a potential of competing priorities yeah. here. There's also right. a major um, policy implication for the school committee that they'll have to deal with, which is around our high schools. Our high school uh, assignment process currently is citywide. Right. Um, and so. how many high schools are there? Because she's been talking about winnowing down the number of high schools to seven high schools and the three exam schools. And there have to be many more than that in terms of high schools. There's major questions yeah. here. Uh, and, and two of them. Um, are, the first is, is how, how do we shrink if we're moving from, from as you said, dozens of high schools or, or, or over two dozen high schools to, um, to, se to seven to ten, uh, which ones are going to exist and which ones will go away and how big do the ones need to be to and where will they be across our city? Those are all questions. Um, and, and also, I think the feeder pattern with that is really important. So if you have students who go to uh, school theoretically through sixth grade at one, at one elementary school, how do, how do students across the city feed into uh, different high schools? And will those high schools have the same opportunities? What opportunities will they have? That's one major uh, question that is outstanding with the high school work. But there's also a policy decision that needs to be made by the, by the uh, school committee. Uh, currently, cities, uh, the high schools are citywide high schools. Um, and there's a real question if we go to 712, uh, it, 
entering to seventh grade would mean that they'd be neighborhood-based high schools. So what I mean by that, Jill, is currently the city has a policy for K to eight, our neighborhood-based schools close to home. Uh, and all of our high schools are citywide. So if you start to move to 712, there's a, po there's, it, it, there's a policy change that needs to be made by the school committee around um, high school entry grades. And will our high schools become neighborhood-based or will they be continue to be citywide? Right, and so what are the pathways once you've left sixth grade? Because if because you'll have so the K through eights will become K through all six, of these six, things or K through twelves. You'd have to either add grades or subtract grades if you're going to go, have a finite approach to schools. A huge amount of questions uh, that remain here. Then school committee moved to public comment, and Jessica Tang, who's the president of the Boston Teachers Union, kicked things off and was followed by a number of teachers and parents who also made comments about um, inclusion classrooms in Boston Public Schools. And she really focused her comments and, and all of the preceding comments, I believe, were also focused on inclusion. Right. So we heard uh, we heard from Jessica, uh, Jessica Tang, president of the Boston Teachers Union, who who uh, uh, was really advocating for a move to more um, more staffing uh, for mm -hmm. our, our um, inclusion classrooms across the district. We also heard from a number of parents and, and teachers from across the district um, about the need how to better serve uh, our students with disabilities in an inclusive inclusion setting. Right. Um, so more to come on on this topic. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, there was a shift over to a human capital update, which you know a bit about. Um, I was I I didn't understand that. Why did they open with a slide on the Judge Garrity order? Oh, this is this is really important. So, um, in 1974, Judge Garrity, as part of desegregation across our city, um, said said essentially to the school uh, the school department and the city that you must maintain a, di a more diverse workforce. Mm -hmm. And uh, Judge Garrity set forth um, a goal for, or a not a goal, requirement to mm -hmm. have 25% of the work, the licensed workforce, this is teachers and guidance counselors, um, be black teachers and guidance counselors. Right. And 10% um, other. And uh, so that included Asian, Latinx. Right. Because uh, um, back in 74, our city was primarily black and white with some Asians and some Latin Americans. Is that correct? Th that, yes, that's correct. So Judge yeah. Garrity's order. So there's order, been a huge shift in our population. Right. I, th I think this population. is, I think this is incredibly problematic. Yeah. Um, and here's why, you know, we've, um, if, if we're setting, if we're simply setting our targets for teacher diversity at mm -hmm. our schools, um, in our school district to be based on a, an order from 1974, um, and our city has changed so dramatically, right. we are incredibly outdated in our goals. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, you know, we started with the Garrity order. Uh, the district is basically comparing themselves to the Garrity order, mm -hmm. um, but we have a, a huge, because what the research is telling us is that our, um, uh, our teacher workforce mm -hmm. um, should represent the diversity of the students that are served in our district. Right, teachers and do better when that's true. Students do better. I'm oh, sorry. True, students right? do better. Well, teachers might too, but yeah, students do better. When right. When students see themselves in their teacher, when teachers um, are, are are there as role models and uh, and represent the racial, cultural, and linguistic diversity of the students that they're serving, yeah. um, we've seen that students do better. Right. right. Um, so that should absolutely be a goal, but it, it is abysmal. 
for the district to have uh, uh, so few uh, Latinx teachers across the district, right. um, we should really think about reframing that goal. Yeah. Um, and quite frankly, you know, we've oversimplified this conversation to right. be, um, here's what we should have as a complete district. Yeah. But we really should be thinking about target school by school, right? right. So what, are, what is the diversity we should be having at every school across Boston? Mm-hmm. Um, and we should be looking very closely at those numbers. The, the district uh, did a good job last night of giving an overview of uh, teacher diversity and of their efforts, you know, to, to increase teacher diversity. Um, but they did not go into the school by school analysis and how we're doing school by school with teacher diversity. Um, also I think what was remiss in this, in this presentation, um, was really a focus on leadership. I mean, we, um, there, there, we have, we have lost very intentional leadership pipeline programs. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's only pretty much one left in the district, which is a Lynch leadership Academy. Hmm. Um, why have you lost the others over the years? We've, we've lost a focus on leadership, um, true leadership pipeline programs in our district. And, uh, this is what's going to bring us, um, diverse high caliber candidates for, for our schools. We have a 20% turnover rate in our, in our principal positions in our district. Um, if we want to have a district that is uh, has great schools, we got to have great leaders, and we have to invest leaders. in these pipeline programs. Make sure we're bringing in great candidates, attract them to the profession, support them in the profession. Um, and I would have liked to see a lot more emphasis uh, last night on that. So that'll be interesting to see if that comes out in the strategic plan as it gets rolled out and unveiled. So Hardin Coleman and Michael O'Neill both raised some important points about what they expect to see in the presentation from Human Human Capital. I think they enjoyed and and they liked what they saw, but they um, felt like it was missing some things. Can we can we just play those clips for a second? That independence in hiring, and um, I would like to get see that data again. How are we doing on that? Are the reviews being made? Are they doing the there are they are they creating the type of faculty that they work well in the school? And what's the impact on the diversity of that faculty? I think we want to look at that can go two ways. We want that data. And also those, those and for those uh, who are not yeah. being reassigned in a school, how, how long is it taking to get them to get in, get in a new position and how are we managing that? So that's another bit of data that we've historically gotten. That when you say review, you're talking about evaluation data? I went, well, one, um, are our principals still, we got up to what, 90 some percent mm-hmm. of principals evaluating all their faculty by December so they could have autonomy in hiring? Yep. Are we still there? Yes. And then second, as they then let people, as they allow people to, as it will allow them to rearrange their faculty, are we still hiring earlier in the pool because we had, the, the, yes. we had that, we gave yes. that? freedom to teachers, we have this great relationship with the union. Again, a national model for how to manage hiring yeah. and, and quality of schools because you know, not everyone agrees with this data, but I certainly do. The, the primary way you improve performance in schools, the quality of the teacher you have in the classroom. Mm-hmm. That, that is the driver for improvement. So the freedom we gave uh, principals to create that quality in the classroom, I think is central to any improvement we're going to do. So are we still providing that? And what are the outcomes on percentage of teachers of color? And are people, are we still caring for those teachers who are saying, this is not a good fit in my school. We don't have the relationship. Or we're, we need these type of uh, skill sets for our students in this building. And are those 
faculty who were being um, released still being cared for and brought back into our system and taken care of. And so that, that was a data that was historically been reported that I would still like to see. I'm right, because there have been some researchers looking at the effectiveness of that, of that program. But, and, and Dean Coleman hit the nail on the head. These numbers show us the outcomes um, on ethnicity. What you don't have in this is what we traditionally get in this report as well as about the timing. And it, cause to me, it's about hiring the best possible teacher for our classes, for our students. And I think changing the timing has been fundamental to that change. Um, and yes, I agree completely, um, Dean Coleman, the huge effort that we as a body put on to hold every level of the district accountable. We fundamentally believed that everyone who works in the district has a, be right to be, has a right to be told, what are you doing right and where can you improve? And we held the school leaders or we held the superintendent's feet to the fire to hold school leaders accountable for doing reviews of all your students, of all their teachers, and we got that report at this level just to show how important it was. And that deputy superintendents were evaluating all the principals and school leaders that they report to, and were all evaluations for school leaders in on time. And was the superintendent evaluating their senior team? Showing that every single, and by the way, it was important on us to evaluate the superintendent on a timely basis as well. We were trying to prove that point that everyone had that responsibility. So what are they talking about? What, what, what is missing in this report that typically happens in this report? Well, Jill, I was confused. Um, uh, when I read that there would be an Office of Human Capital re um, report, mm -hmm. I was expecting, um, yes, absolutely a report around uh, teacher diversity, um, which is always an essential element of, of a report. But it was missing um, a, a number of other elements that we'd expect to see in a human capital report. Mm -hmm. um, First and foremost, we would expect to see um, an update on hiring. So how many uh, positions are filled? Uh, where, where do we start off the year? Yeah, how many um, are outstanding? And, and now we've just gone through the budget process, or schools have gone, gone through the budget process. They're beginning to identify vacancies. Right. Um, and the district should begin to be posting jobs. Right. Um, so it would be really important at this point to note the number of vacancies that exist across the district. Yeah. Um, begin to I, uh, talk about the teacher pipeline uh, right. op opportunities. Um, and, and to set off the hiring season. So you'd expect to hear a lot of data around, around hiring. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that was completely missing here was evaluation uh, information. So mm -hmm. we just passed a really important deadline in the district, which was uh, January 15th, I believe, for formative assessments. Mm -hmm. um, and typically what you would see every year is a report around evaluation. Um, so hmm. there would be a report around how many uh, evaluations have been completed. Uh, what's it, what are the what are the evaluations look like? Uh, they would do it by um, by school. They would do it by uh, essentially principal supervisors. Mm -hmm. um, how many of those evaluations have been done for principals? Um, and there would also be a report around central office evaluations. Um, none of those data were not available last night, right. um, and it's very concerning because this is an important time to check in. Um, and for the committee to ask questions about that data um, or those data and then revisit it again mm -hmm. at the end of the year. Um, so we missed a critical uh, time to check in on, the, on, those, on, the, on that information. 
Because it could be very likely that we don't go to, we now go to the end of the year before we get an update. Well, Joe, we've had a massive problem in the past yeah. with, uh, with no evaluations being done, very little evaluations being done across our district, yeah. um, especially for our principals and our central office staff. Right. Um, we've seen um, also hiring used to take place in September. Mm -hmm. um, and so if we don't have a very concerted effort uh, around uh, hiring the best and the brightest early mm -hmm. uh, and evaluating and supporting our, our, uh, our workforce, um, we have a fundamental problem in our district. Right. And so missing this opportunity, I can't tell you enough how concerned I am um, that that was not presented last night. That's interesting. And it's interesting to me also because um, the, the last thing that happened last night at school committee was um, they talked a little bit about how the superintendent will be evaluated. And I thought that presentation was fantastic. Um, Hardin Coleman gave it. But um, I also pulled down the memo from the school committee to the superintendent. And the opening of it, and I'll just read it to you, says, among the primary responsibilities of the Boston School Committee are the hiring supervision, sorry, supervision and evaluation of the, of the superintendent. Since 2013, however, we have only completed two annual evaluations of previous superintendents. It is time to implement a system of evaluation that is meaningful and useful for you, the school committee, and the community of Boston. I guess this goes directly to your point that for a while there, evaluation was completely lost. Yes, this was a really important part of the meeting. This is actually the last presentation where uh, the school committee um, essentially said very clearly, we, we care about evaluation um, and we want to start making sure that we're, we're evaluating the superintendent. Um, in fact, the, the key job of the school committee is to hire and to evaluate um, the superintendent. And so this was uh, you know, the, under the leadership of Chairman Lacanto, um, the school committee laid out a very clear uh, process for the superintendent evaluation, which will begin with goal setting and plan development um, later this spring. And the school committee laid out very clear dates for which um, and, and, and milestones for the evaluation process. Um, also, you know, the school committee said we uh, the the under the last year of your con of the contract of the superintendent will provide a 360 evaluation of the superintendent, taking in many different data points and a portfolio assessment. Um, to judge the superintendent's effectiveness. Uh, and the school committee also prioritized certain elements and, and parts of the state rubric around their priorities and said, these are the things we care about that a superintendent does, and we want the superintendent to collect evidence um, on, on these elements. Um, this is an important part of um, being a model for all the rest of the district on how to do an effective supervision and evaluation process of an employee. So uh, I think this is a very important part of the meeting and we look forward to watching the evaluation process unfold. Yeah, that's great. So what do you think is next for school committee? Well, first I'd like to just again note that the resources from last night's school committee will be available and linked to this podcast. Um, I encourage everybody in, uh, to check out these resources. They're, they're incredibly informative. Um, next time, there's actually a school committee meeting next week. Uh, on February 6th, That's right. where uh, the superintendent will present her the budget for the district um, as it relates also to the strategic plan. And she said, along with that budget, she will have an operating plan. That's right. So really, uh, the next steps in the strategic plan. Mm -hmm. um, and so that will be an interesting meeting to keep track of. Yeah, because, oh man, it's a massive undertaking. It's massive. Yeah. And exciting. And exciting. So... Thank you for listening to our second episode of Last Night at School Committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and citizens of Boston. 
We all have a stake in the future success of Boston students. Have a great day.